in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. of Cinema Wheeler today. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott as usual. Yes. Hello. And we're joined by another two-timer. Yes, she is a two-timer. She is. Yeah. Perfect, perfect uh, lingo for this episode, too. Uh, not a noob anymore. <laughs> no, no she, she's been on before. We love her, and she's back. It's uh, Dollar Monroe, everybody. Woo! Hey. Hello. Hello. We're lucky she'll do German again for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, that'd be interesting with this film. Uh, and uh, the film we are covering is one of my absolute favorites. Like, it's probably, in, if it's not in the top ten, it's very close to it. It's a movie that made a huge impact on me when I first saw it. Uh, it's The Graduate from uh, 1967. Uh, this was a revolutionary movie when it came out. Like, it, it seems like a quiet film now, but it changed a lot. Like, it, it really is like a, anybody who knows anything about film history... There's what they called classic Hollywood and then the new Hollywood, which mm-hmm. happened in the late 60s, where all these um, taboos were being broken in film, things that were originally kind of looked down upon or outlawed or were, were changing. Um, sexuality was becoming more prominent in films, profanity, the topics they were exploring. There was a edge that was coming in, and a lot of that was influenced by like uh, European filmmakers like the French New Wave. And 1967 was like really the the key year when Bonnie and Clyde was released that year with Warren Beatty, and both of those movies just 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 completely revolutionized Hollywood in a I number think, of ways. I think it's so cool how so many American uh, different aspects of culture in America have been so inspired by the French. Oh, yeah. I just love that. You know, obviously I love French culture, mm-hmm. and I just think that that's really neat, like fashion, film. Photography, beauty, mm-hmm. um, all those things have really been influenced by the French. Yeah. Music? Music, uh, fries. Fries. <laughs> um, Food, cuisine. <laughs> after, after being in Paris, now they like all our stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they listen to our yeah. music and watch yes. our Yes. It's just amazing. When we were yeah. in Paris uh, last September, it was so fun. We went to this cute little like street corner cafe. It was a little bit more modern. And it was kind of late. It was like 11 or so, and that's why we went in, because we wanted to get something to eat. And uh, they had 90s American music. Oh, funny. Like, 
the best stuff. You name anything you want from the 90s, and it was playing. And all of the French waiters and waitresses were, like, singing and dancing. And so I started singing along. I was like, I love this song. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we love 90. We love American (laughs) culture. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like Portlandia, but it's pretty much. The 90s lives on. Yes. I was there once in high school in in Nice, like, because we took, like, a... Was it nice in Nice? It it was nice in Nice. (laughs) It was. Uh... (laughs) Although they drove really fast, like it almost felt like like it always felt like oh there might be some edge. They maybe yeah. we're Americans and they're gonna run us over when we start oh, crossing yeah, the street. Yeah. You know we had that at just in the mid '90s when that happened, but uh, uh, it was beautiful country. You know. Oh yeah. On that it section. Is. Oh so yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. France is one of the nicest places in the world. I think. Yeah. So especially the southern parts. When we were driving, um, we took the train ride from Paris to Switzerland. Just going through that countryside. It's just beautiful. Okay, since we mentioned France, I'm going to be nonlinear because I was going to look up the actor. So the dad was in that movie, the uh, Andre Tepper movie. Yeah, Yeah. Two for the Road. Two for the Road. Oh, I love that movie. I do too. Um, But anyway, he was such an odious character in that. And he, he wasn't... That sympathetic in this movie, no. But it, yeah, Mr. Feeney, right? But, yes, right? and Boy Meets World. Yeah, yeah. Boy, but I can't remember the actor's name now. William something. William uh, Daniels. That's it. William okay. Daniels. William Daniels. He's a great actor. The only other movie I, I, I've seen him in a lot of movies. He was on Sid Elsewhere too at one point, oh, yeah, wasn't he? Right, yeah. Uh, but there is a movie. It's obscure. It's like uh, I think it's called. It was a blind date with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger. Oh gosh. It's really obscure oh. and bad. Is this 80s? Yeah, and I just remember he played the judge. He played John Larroquette's dad. Isn't that perfect? Like, yeah. John Larroquette oh, was like yeah. the sleazy yeah. lawyer, <laughs> and the judge was played by uh, William Daniels. But I, I love the bit, the bit actors in this movie that I know from 70s television, right? So that, yeah. that's 80s television. Yeah. Yeah, that, but, yeah. Boy Meets World, but... Uh, Norman Fowl, yeah, Mr. Roper, <laughs> and then uh, uh, the Mr. Robinson was the husband of Julia Sugarbaker on Designing Women. Yeah, oh, I remember that show. Right, I forgot his name, and he was also he was in some, was he in Jaws? He was, he was the mayor in Jaws. Jaws. He was he was in a western too. He played I, I thought I can't remember now which. Uh, I, I don't know the Western. I, I know him primarily from Jaws because yeah, he okay. was the mayor that screwed over yeah. the whole town. You, I wish he was in the same like cinematic universe where he goes, <laughs> divorces Wow, yeah. and goes, I'm going to go run for mayor in a, on the other side of the... Yeah. <laughs> We're going to... In some uh, New York suburb somewhere, I'm going to be the mayor of this sea town. Um, I, I think one of the greatest qualities about this film is just the fact that it was directed by Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who I just think is super awesome. Yeah, he is. Uh, I like his. It's it's weird because Mike Nichols directed prior to this. He directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is similar to this mm-hmm. movie. He's one of those taboo breaking. You know, it, it kind of showed. He took two of the biggest movie stars at that point yeah. and just showed them these really dark, disturbing that marriage. Was with Taylor. Yeah, and, uh, Liz Taylor and Richard, Richard Burton. Burton. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they offered him this. You know this this property, The Graduate, and he liked the book. And uh, decided to sign on to it. And so many people involved with this movie, they splinter out into things that I love. Like, yeah. you know, Mike Nichols, we're all improvisers here, all yeah. four of us. So he was like one of the premier improvisers. They sold improv comedy albums that entered the top 20. Think about that. In They're doing like straightforward, oh, yeah. like Nichols and May, uh, yeah. Mike Nichols and Lane May were selling comedy albums in the late 50s, early 60s that were. They were selling, they were on a comedy tour. 
Yeah. Performing. They, they would perform on Broadway. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah. Broadway. I mean, they, they were. And, and that was incredible. He was born in Berlin, Germany. So yeah. There's the German connection. The German That's a huge fled, connection. They fled the Nazis in 1939. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he wouldn't know it because he, he, you know, obviously has a very American accent when you see yeah. him in like interviews from yeah. the 60s and stuff. I think Elaine May's from New York or maybe not. Jersey. Uh, Jersey is it? Okay. I, mean, I thought it was, knew it was that area. But uh, okay. like then he became like this premier director on Broadway. He directed a production of A Barefoot in the Park with Robert yes. Redford, which was a oh, big, yeah. Great. big And then deal. they made that into the movie version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he was revered. Like, I'm just amazed. This guy, like, he mastered improv, then he mastered theater mm. as a director, then he masters movies <laughs> within a decade. Uh, that's incredible and to so me. he's so good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like, that's one aspect of it. Then Buck Henry wrote the screenplay. He was one of the screenwriters, and he used to host Saturday Night Live in, like, the 70s oh, all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he was... Uh, like, he was a guy with glasses. You'll see him, and if you see clips of the 70s yeah. SNL, you'll see him a lot periodically. And then Dustin Hoffman being cast as Benjamin oh, yeah. was huge because this was supposed to be like a Robert Redford type. They were going for mm-hmm. somebody that was looked Southern California and very waspy, mm-hmm. blonde hair. And somehow they decided they needed, they saw Dustin Hoffman on Broadway and thought this guy would be perfect for Benjamin. And I think he is. Not because he fits that demographic, obviously, but I don't think you this movie you could, wouldn't be believable with Robert Redford like you wouldn't yeah. buy into it it's like yeah I don't really I, see I, it I would feel like if it had Robert Redford he would be the one seducing Mrs. Robinson yes exactly I mean that's how yeah. I feel about it too but Dustin Hoffman it just makes perfect sense I mean it just and he's beautiful in this movie you know what I mean like he's, he's just so, so great and great yeah you know yeah. that hotel scene where he's like before he gets the room and he keeps going up to the desk and he's like very paranoid and the people are watching him and just that whole scene. And then I love when he calls, instead of going back to the table to tell her that he got the room, he calls her from the paper. <laughs> he masters every awkward scenario you could think of in yeah, this situation. It's so funny. He calls her, he's like, Miss Robinson, turn around. Can you see me? I'm behind the glass. <laughs> yeah, he has to wave at her from the phone. You know, what's interesting too, did you notice all of his little noises that he makes? Yeah, I love it. Because he's often going, hmm. You know, and, and making these funky, yeah. uh, kind of nervous little noises. And I, I didn't notice it until someone, maybe the third or fourth time I saw the movie, because someone pointed out to me. They said, listen carefully. <laughs> so he's definitely a, a method actor that he's really... Yeah. And he really nailed down that, that sort of... There's like an innocence, a charm, an awkwardness, and also even like a... He's very mm-hmm. neurotic, this character. Mm-hmm. You know, and to be able to blend all of those different elements, but but make it charming enough that you like him, and even though he's done some pretty bad things, and then he turns into like stalker number one mm-hmm. at the end of the film. I mean, yeah. but we like him, and we're still rooting for him. Yeah, it, it is funny because you know Benjamin is a flawed character in a lot of ways. You know, because there's a lot of self-absorption in a lot of it. Like, there's a lot of selfish behavior, especially mm-hmm. towards the end. Yeah. You know, and they kind of I think the whole the point is that he's you root for him but there's a lot of complications there like you know he did (laughs) he was kind of thrown into this himself he was manipulated himself but then I think he's trying to manipulate Elaine at the end Mm -hmm. too in the same way he was manipulated by her mother you know and and it's funny because when we watched this movie again last Sunday in preparation for the podcast you and I watch it with adult more adult eyes than I have in past times Mm -hmm. viewing it and you know I really started thinking 
I, I said to Scott, I said, Elaine is really right when she says, you know, I love you, but this just is never going to work out. I mean, there is way too much baggage and too much damage just by virtue of the fact that he had this affair with her mother. Now oh, the yeah. family, yeah. now her parents are getting divorced as a result of this. I mean, does he really logically and rationally think he's going to be able to have this wonderful lasting relationship with her with all that excess baggage of what he did to their family and I mean trust you know it just it just is not realistic I think it's delusion at the end yeah, I think he thinks of himself as delusional. a hero at that well, point and so um this is one of those movies that I watched with my mom that was one of her personal favorites that she really wanted to share with me um that I'm leading to follow up on your uh, point but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah um it, so but what's funny is I can't remember exactly how old I was because normally I do remember I have a pretty good memory of kind of the place and time where I saw something and I can't so I think late teens maybe but but I remember her telling me about it years before I saw it of him staring into his fish tank and listening to Simon and Garfunkel so that's what my mom really she loved that kind of whole image um, but um, so when I first saw it as a as a late teenager, I remember just thinking it was just so unfair. Mm-hmm. That's what I that was very much my viewpoint is that. So Mrs. Robinson seduced him and basically, yeah, manipulated. Mm-hmm. Like he was a willing participant. Mm-hmm. And that's just something we should come back to. But yeah. but anyway, and then and then and then it turns out that he really, really liked Elaine. Yeah. So my teenager self was like, he should get a do-over. It's not his fault. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I was really bothered yes. by that. I felt yeah, I felt this great injustice that he should be able But the other thing I'm thinking about now is it's also sort of a metaphor for the sixties in a way. That the sixties about kind of destroying the status quo, yeah. yeah, and destroying this like middle class bubble, mm-hmm. and breaking free of it, and yeah, there's going to be a sort of carnage associated. And, and again, I don't, yeah. I don't know that I'm excusing anything, yeah. but but I no, don't know if that was. I completely agree because you know when I first saw this as a teenager, I've always been a hopeless romantic, and I was like, he should get Elaine, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was rooting for him when he ran into the church and crashed the wedding, mm-hmm. and then, you know. And then they ran off together. But again, Mike Nichols is so brilliant in how he captures that real that real moment and that true like mo- human emotion when they get on the bus and they're all happy and they're laughing. And then, and then after about a minute, they kind of look at each other and you can just yeah. tell they're both thinking the same thing. Like, now what? Yeah, what did this we was, do? What did we do? Like, now, like I always, we go from here? <laughs> I always, like, on your point, too, when you were mentioning that particular scene, the ending scene, is that this cycle is going to repeat itself. They're going to become their parents eventually. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. if this was meant that they were really broke through and they were free, completely free of this whole lifestyle yeah. and, you know, the morals of the middle class at that point, it would have ended on a happier note. But he makes the point, like, okay, yeah. these guys really are still middle class people. Yeah. I don't really see them veering too far from this one way or the other. Even if yeah. they didn't whether they stay together or not, they're coming down a similar path. Yeah. As they well, they're go. upper class. I think. Yeah. yeah. They're like yeah, pretty upper, rich. Yeah, yeah. They're like... Pool uh, in the backyard and so like... Well, the Pasadena. I think they lived in Beverly Hills, Pasadena. Yeah. Well, so and here's a question too about the whole seduction that I, I always wondered about this is that the double standard, right, of... Um, and again, he's supposed to be 21, so that no issue there, but um, that... Um, um, again, a man sleeping with an older woman is a hero, but uh, we, well, we are more protective, perhaps, of younger women. And so the question is, if the genders were reversed, um, would we be horrified 
Or it definitely would be a totally different movie. Or it yeah, it would. yeah, it would be. If it was like it would be an older like Mr. Feeney manipulation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Feeney. Are you introducing me, Mr. And Catherine Ross out of an interesting film. If the world's a no, you're absolutely right. It'd Especially like back movie. in 1967, yeah. if it were a dad, Mr. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going the, after the girl next door that yeah. he knew from childhood. Yeah, people would really look at that in a different way, and the movie would probably be really dark. You know, and scary. And, yeah. and, and there, there was a movie like that called Lolita. With, oh uh, yeah, yeah, right. James, okay. Matt, you know, wasn't American Beauty like that too? Yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least American Beauty, he doesn't go through. It. He realizes that he has a child in his arms. Yeah. Yeah. Go through with it. But. And he's also a very, uh, he is a very troubled guy. Yeah. At yeah. that point in his life, to mm-hmm. say the least, Kevin Spacey's character. Not that Mrs. Robinson is in trouble. Yeah, she's so, bored. But yeah, yeah, yeah. She's why does she do this? Is that yeah? It's just boredom. I think that's. I think it's implied. It's implied at the very beginning mm-hmm. that she's she's it's bored and dissatisfied. Remember, mm-hmm. she says she was an art student, and yes. that um, when they and the only reason she married him is because she was pregnant. Uh, Mr. Robinson mm-hmm. and that tells you everything it's like okay she had a completely different life mapped out that was probably not part of that middle class existence yeah. but then it was wiped away when she got married to him and probably frustration just built in over time because it was the 60s it was you yeah. had to be a dutiful wife there next year husband and yeah yeah, yeah and that that yeah. line really stuck with me again from the very first time watching it when he when he says can't we have a conversation when Ben says mm-hmm. can't we talk and she said, what do you want to talk about? And he said, art. And she says, what did she say? I have no interest in that. Yeah, I don't want to talk about right. it. Right. Yeah. And then he finds out she was an art student. And I actually read later that that was the that was the line in the book that made Mike Nichols want to do the movie. Yeah. That he was just hooked. He was hooked into Mrs. Robinson from that moment. That someone who had aspired to be an artist who now has no opinion on art. Yeah. yeah, it just says everything about. Or maybe she know? does, but it it just brings up too emo- too much emotions for uh, her, and I, it just kind yeah. of gets her in that really bad, sad, dark place that she is already living in. That's exactly what I think it is. It's like it, it's yeah. too painful for her to think yeah. about what could have been. And, and I think she, she also resents. I think she yeah, resents Alan and Benjamin because they're young and they have the world at their feet and they're able to make different decisions than she did. And I think that's partly. I think it's obvious that she's jealous of her daughter, with or without having slept with Benjamin. She's very resentful. Uh-huh. I think of Elaine for the obvious reasons of yeah. it changed her life. You know, she got married to this man that maybe she didn't love because being pregnant with Elaine, but also because Elaine is young and has the world at her feet and she can go a different path than Mrs. Robinson. Um, And I think that's also why she wants to kind of ruin Elaine's life. You know, she, in that moment where Benjamin ends up confessing what happened, I don't really think Miss Robinson had any intention of telling Elaine. I think she knew Benjamin would crack. Mm -hmm. And I think she knew Elaine would probably side more with her because she was mm-hmm. a woman, or, or at least it would definitely change her perception on Benjamin, mm-hmm. which is what Mrs. Robinson's ultimate goal was at that point. And then she rushes Elaine into this marriage with this guy that she's not in love with. The makeout king. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Save yeah. a piece for me. You know? <laughs> and, smokes a pipe, too, on top oh, of it. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like as this movie progresses, the more and more I kind of feel sorry and for and dislike Miss Robinson because how really destructive she is. I mean, she's willing to take anybody down with her. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the very beginning, um, in the first scene when Benjamin's at his graduation party and he comes downstairs and you can tell he's just looking for another excuse to get out of here, Mrs. Robinson eyes him up and looks at him and it shows her 
doing this. And I think really what's happening is, you know, she's she can smell his vulnerability and she can sense his uncertainty and his discomfort and his, you know, just all the things that he's going through. I think she can sense that. And I think she takes advantage of it mm-hmm. with the affair. Otherwise, I mean, had she had he been this happy-go-lucky, oh, I'm going to go to graduate school and life is great, I don't think that ever would have happened. The affair probably never would have happened. She, she is cruel to him, too. In this yes. movie. Yeah. In every yes. case. Like, there's, like, no in, enjoyment at all yeah. over the affair. I just, like, get down here. It's a dominatrix almost with him. Well, time. it's like misery loves She's, company. Yeah. That's what this is. She's miserable. She wanted company. At that point in his life, he was just as low as she was in some respects. Different. They were on different levels. Well. But. Yeah, but, and, and too, again, it does have a fair point. Maybe she also was seriously horny. Yeah, well, that's probably, so. again, you know, yeah. like, it, it just feels sad for the teenager that got knocked up in the back seat and maybe yeah. never got to fully explore her sexuality, and that's just not, and again, no excuse. Yeah. Right? Right. But, uh, yeah, she, her husband yeah. is not cutting it, and and in that day and age, divorce was yeah. still a big taboo. I'll be honest, I kind of like Mr. Robinson. I kind of feel bad for him. He doesn't seem like that bad a guy, really, yeah, at the never... end of the day. He's giving him advice at the beginning, and, I mean, other than maybe just him being this sheltered guy, I don't, there really isn't anything that indicates to me that he's a terrible human being at all. Yeah. Like, it seems yeah. like she yeah. just resents the fact that yeah. she's stuck well, with him. She's, I mean, like maybe. like a lot of humans, she's very layered, you know? Yeah. Very complex. There's a lot of things going on there. And I think the same can be said for Benjamin, just in... in on a different level, in a different way, mm-hmm. you know, because um, he's 21. I remember being 21, you know, you're either still in college or just out, you just graduated and you're thinking, now what, what do I do with my life? What do I want to be? Mm-hmm. You, there's all these unsaid expectations that people have placed on you about what you should do with your life, what society thinks you should do with it. And as a woman, you have, should you get married and have kids, you know, all these added kind of things. So it's like Benjamin's at a weird point. And I think Miss Robinson's kind of at a weird point, too. She's like, I'm not happy here, but I don't necessarily want to get divorced. But I don't necessarily want to be with this guy. So it's kind of like they found each other in that weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think, like, uh, he, as a character, you know, probably hasn't had a lot of options in his life either. That's you know, Because he he's, he's a nerdy guy. Although, that's one yeah, of the flaws. Let's, let's discuss why he's so alienated. Yeah. Because we don't really, you know, again, we don't get the backstory, just that he was the all-American boy, right? And the yeah. track star and... Yeah, which and is the, funny being Dustin Hoffman, he doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's a thing, too, about, so that Mike Nichols was Jewish, right? But this mm-hmm. is a very waspy family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think I read that, too, that um, Dustin Hoffman had said to, to Mike Nichols, but, you know, am I supposed to be a wasp? And I forget what Mike Nichols said. Something is like yeah. you know, it's the, like it's like they had a mutant kid, is what he said. Like these two waspy oh, parents yeah, yeah, had yeah, a mutant yeah. kid. Yeah. Uh, they gave him that impression. Mm-hmm. I think the track star angle it, it hurts the character the way it's constructed with Dustin Hoffman. I think ha- having him be a straight A student works, like oh. the Welburn straight A student. But having yeah. that track star, you could imagine him running fast. Yeah, like you could, you could. Yeah, he probably he probably could Depends do. Yeah, they just say generally. 
they just get like a general. He's a track star general. Yeah. No, they don't go into what events yeah. he ran. So, it was yeah. like cross country. Yeah. Or was it like long distance, short distance? So short why distance? is yeah? Why is he so alienated? I mean, one one thing I was thinking about, and again, it's like a really powerful scene is the um, scuba suit mm-hmm. for his yeah. birthday, right? And then he come, and he you know coming out like. Yeah, behind a mask, yes. like, and he's seeing all these people yeah. waving and coaxing him, like, from behind him. But anyway, it just struck me um, when he was he gets in the pool and he's got this diving hook or whatever, yeah. Yeah. and he's just standing there in the pool. And I was so I kind of wondered about, you know, that equipment is for use on the open water, like mm. out in the mm-hmm. world, but he's in a pool in a backyard, and I just thought that was really mm-hmm. symbolic. Yeah. Of the the life that he had yeah. lived, right? Instead of like yeah. being equipped in a way to like go out into the wild world, <laughs> yeah. but being stuck in a backyard pool yeah. by yourself, yeah, by yeah, yourself. Yeah, 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 by yourself, yeah. you know. So With the pressure like, mounting, yeah, on top yeah, yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. And he tries to get up at one point, and his dad shoves his head yes. back under the yeah. water. So then he just surrenders and stands there. Yeah, and yeah. Start yeah. playing the Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah. everybody. Yeah. What I think is that he had this great time in college because some. I assume that he was just four-hour flight, so uh-huh. he was on the other side of Williams College. Is that a real? Yeah. Um, I have no idea. Um, if they live in Southern California and it's a so, four-hour flight, so he's somewhere Midwest, a, probably yeah. in the Midwest. Four hours. It's, yeah, yeah nineteen sixty-seven. Either Chicago or. Yeah. I'd say no farther than east than Chicago. Yeah, but he's hours. on the east side of the United States, so at least. Yeah, but I think this two four hours is too far of a flight. You can't get from New York to California in four hours. You can't. You can now, but yeah. I don't know then. I don't. Really now? Yeah, it depends. Yeah, on, yeah it depends yeah. on the size of the jet. Okay. Yeah, I flew. Okay. I flew Washington to San Francisco okay. in four hours. Yeah, so I, I think that's possible. Awesome. <laughs> but but I think you're right. In 1967, yeah, it just I seems yeah. too far. But he's he's east. Anyway, he's, he's far east. away. Yeah, he's not in California. <laughs> so I think he. My my suspicion, and that's all it is, is that he had this great time in college. He was a track star. He was great. But now he knows. He's coming back to, he knows what his parents' friends are like. He knows what his parents are like. So he's depressed because now yeah. all that fun and excitement is over and he has to go back to this, hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That would give justice to the opening scene where he's yeah. very displeased. And then, he's know, displeased on the plane. Yeah, that's yeah. true, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, oh. <laughs> yeah, the opener. Yes. Uh, that is one of my favorite credit sequences in film history is watching him yeah, on the rail. I'm sorry, Brendan, but Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that is that is also a very fun opener. Yeah, it yeah, is. It's not, yeah. It, it, this is great. First of all, like, the song, let me let me just say I'm a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan in general. Like, even if I hadn't seen this movie, Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel are among my favorite pop culture figures, musicians ever. And this particular song is, is one of my favorites. Like, I've always loved this song, even before I associated it with the film. And when I finally saw it in the movie, I'm like, oh, wow, that's such a great fit for that song. Because the themes of that song are just, in the way that Dustin Hoffman's, you know, his expressions and everything, like Scott was saying, like, he's troubled, he's frustrated. There's something, there's an undercurrent there. That song yeah. perfectly is in yeah. sync with that. It sets that melancholy mood for the whole movie. And, you know, even the opening line, hello, darkness, my old friend, maybe that gives meaning to what Scott was saying, where, you know, he's going back into this dark, old, familiar place that he really doesn't like. Yeah. It just keeps getting deeper. (laughs) And then visually, he's going the opposite direction from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all these other people are going this way, and he's going that way. So it's like... Again, he's he's, he's in solitude. Yeah. Well, well, that's... 
the theme of the song is all the isolation yeah. and not feeling in sync yeah. with your surroundings. And going and against stuff. the current mm-hmm. yeah. or something. And maybe he's a salmon, like, go, you know, swimming <laughs> upstream because if he's going back to California. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. What's interesting about that song, like, uh, it was a hit two years before the movie was released. It became a number one hit two years prior. And before that, it was just an acoustic song that was on their first album, which didn't mm. do well. So Simon and Garfunkel broke up and Paul Simon moved to England. Oh. And then this producer named Tom Wilson, folk rock was becoming big at that oh, yeah. year, 65. And Bob like Dylan Bob Dylan. And, yeah, this producer produced Like a Rolling Stone uh-huh. for Bob Dylan. And the birds were big, you know, mm-hmm. those songs. So the song was starting to get traction in certain like areas like Boston. And so he said, I'm just going to record this as a folk rock song. So he took all the musicians from Like a Rolling Stone and created a backdrop wow. to this. Simon and Garfunkel had no clue any of this was going on. They had broken up because that album didn't do well. So it becomes the number one hit. And Paul Simon starts seeing Simon and Garfunkel in like Billboard <laughs> cash box because he bought oh, them every week. Okay. And so they said, oh, this is a hit. They didn't even know it was a re-recorded. Like they had a folk rock version of this. So they had to rush and record an album to put this together with this song. Wow. So it's had this great life. Like it went through that. Mm-hmm. Then it ended up in the graduate where it finds probably another audience altogether. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of people think that the song was written for the movie at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the soundtrack is Simon and Garfunkel's. That yeah. album pretty he, much is the soundtrack for this movie. Yeah, he, uh, they, at that point, people really weren't using pre existing pop music in film. It was expensive oh, okay. and. Mm-hmm. And Nichols said, I just can't think of any other songs than Paul's songs fit this movie so well, like Scarborough Fair and, yes. yeah, yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. I think is, the that, only... is that the one that says Rosemary Sayers? Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. a great song. All those songs were like released already, and then he just bought them. And I think Mrs. Robinson, of course, was written for the film. But Paul Simon hadn't even finished that song. But song. And it was supposed to be Mrs. Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Because it was, was it about Eleanor. 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 Yeah. You know, and that makes sense Mrs. when you think of Mrs. Roosevelt, yeah. Joe DiMaggio, all that stuff yeah, kind of makes yeah, yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, The Candidate's Debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that. Well, that's a great song in general. It is, yeah. That's another great song. But you, I mean, that song is definitely synonymous with The Graduate. Oh, it is. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was written for The Graduate, except he turned it into something else entirely because the song wasn't finished when the film was completed and even released. It didn't become a hit until like a few months after the film huh. was released as its full mo- version uh-huh. we all know on the oh, radio. Oh, right, because right. Right, the Mrs. Robinson thing wasn't sung during the movie. No, right? you hear snippets of the song, right. but, but you not, never not, hear it, the whole yeah. version. Yeah. You know, I think that's clever. And then Wayne's World yeah. 2 parried the, that church sequence like scene for oh, scene yeah, with yeah. that same version of oh, Mrs. Robinson. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't he go to the wrong wedding? Yeah, he does. <laughs> and Christopher they have Walken. two churches back to back on the street now. And Christopher Walken even stops him on his steps. Yes, the same, the same way. way. And yeah. I, I was thinking about all the times when this movie has been alluded to. Yeah. Like even tracking yeah. that down. So then I, it reminded me of American Pie. Yeah, Stifler's yes. mom. Because I think they yes. play, I, play, I think they just played a few bars of that song, and then everybody knows ex- instantly what's going on and what yeah. it's about. The great uh, she's on Cooley. the pool table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they played the two, two, like they started that yeah. part, and Stifler's just smile. They look at each other, and he just can't smile. You also, I love Jennifer <laughs> Coolidge. Yeah, yeah, she's great. It's also a parody with like the sounds of silence too. Like I remember yes. in Kingpin. There is a scene where uh, I think Woody Harrelson has an affair with his landlord or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They start playing the sound of silence at the beginning when they make <laughs> eye contact in the same way, this movie. <laughs> so it's always referenced constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the soundtrack's the, so good. 
the pounding on the glass in the church and yelling. Yeah. Like yeah. That, that's been in The Simpsons. I yeah. Know, I think... Yeah, was it Homer and Marge or something? I don't even remember no. really how many times. Yeah. I heard that like the church, like yeah. the actual church, was upset because Dustin Hoffman would rattle the windows and they thought they were going to collapse or something oh, wow. like that. And it's like this was donated by. Uh, I like that. There's a lot of scenes in this movie where they just there's no music and mm-hmm. they just show him banging on it yeah. from the perspective yeah. of the people in there. And you don't hear anything; you just hear him banging. And then the other scene is when they're in the car on the date with Elaine, uh-huh. and the music playing too <gasps> yes, loud. Yes, they, yes. They, they they push the windows up, yeah. and all you hear is the music, and you just see them eating. The, uh, yeah, and they're, they're in their own little bubble. Yeah. 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 The cinematography, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. The yeah. camera shots. Yeah. I love it when it goes underneath Mrs. Robinson, like yeah. in between her, like my legs aren't long enough. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. And then you yeah. see Benjamin behind her. I mean, just the brilliance of the different camera angles. How uh, it really affects the mood and even your reaction to, to uh, certain things. It can either make it light or make it heavy. Like in that scene... Where you see him through that makes it kind of comical. You yeah, know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, the yeah. montages in this movie, yeah. like you yeah, said, yeah, yeah. are just so innovative yeah. and yeah. subtle. Like they don't draw a lot of attention to themselves. It doesn't feel like it's being arty mm-hmm. because you'll see the the Robin, like uh, Benjamin's parents, looking at the bedroom as he's closing the door, and they're looking in, wondering what's going on. But it segues yeah. beautifully into yeah, him it's with, with the black her bed, uh, headboard of the bed. The oh yeah, bed. yeah, yeah. And that my favorite always, again, from the very first time I saw it, is when he's in the pool and yeah. he's leaping onto the mattress, but then yes. he's landing on this <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I was like, whoa, that it's just amazing. like he's lounging in the pool, <laughs> yes. and he's lounging on top of the neighbor's wife. You that, know? Like, it, that's amazing segue. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. absolutely love that sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do too. It's so seamless. They actually, um, if you watch like Wes Anderson movies, particularly Rushmore, if you watch the scene where Bill Murray jumps into the pool, that is almost a direct homage to the graduate pool scenes where he just sinks down. Like Bill Murray jumps off, uh, I think, the diving board. Oh, right, 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 right. You know, he just sinks all the way down to the bottom and this kid's like, you know, floating around. That's so from the graduate, it's not even funny. Do we ever find out why they dressed him up like... uh... And put them in that suit. That was his birthday, graduate pr- graduation. Yeah, that was his yeah. 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 birthday present. His twenty first birthday. birthday. I love right. the build up his of that. His birthday was a week yeah. after yeah. the graduation. Present. I love the yeah. speech of it. You know. The, oh, the speech that he gives, William Daniels gives. Yeah. Hilarious. It's like, yeah. oh, let me amend that, a young man. <laughs> I love the whole. I, I I love how you talked about earlier, Darla. How we see a lot of point of view camera shots, as if we're Benjamin. But I love that scene where the um, I'm going to call him Mr. Feeney. <laughs> Mr. Feeney's like, come on out, Benjamin. He's like, I don't want to. I don't wonder. And it's just like the banter that they oh, have yeah, back and forth. Yeah, and we yeah. as an audience don't even know what Benjamin looks like right now. <laughs> so it's building that anticipation of what what is he doing? Like what is it what's going on? And then when you cut you know, and then and then we just see it through his eyes. Really awesome. I mean, really smart. And I like when he looks yeah. down and you see his feet wop up. Oh and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the flipper. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It's just kind yeah, of like, too. Yeah. yeah. And then just yeah, the dad losing his patience with them um, when he's just lying in the pool and he says something like you worked so hard and you've earned a little bit of rest but after several weeks like that and again that made me laugh but but you don't really so and we get the feeling eventually right it's fall so he's just done nothing all summer and which, yeah. by the way, where does he have the money to rent all these hotel rooms? I know. Can I'm you imagine what that costs? And he's got that? that nice little sports car. Yeah, but it, but anyway, it just made me it made me giggle a little bit about again what expectations the parents apparently have for their son, and 
Yeah. Well, I think they want him to go to graduate school. Right. So he That's was supposed cut, to start yeah. applying for something, or yeah, or I think he was supposed to apply over the summer, maybe, and then go in the fall. I don't know. How, yeah. Yeah. They, they're kind of vague on the details. The impression you mostly get is like he's yeah. he's going to go to graduate school. He's primed for bigger and better yeah. things, and yet he's just kind of even stalling. Elaine. Even Elaine asked him on the date, "Are you going to go to graduate school, member?" And he's yeah. Because like, no. she just graduated too, right? That's I think the she other. just graduated, or, or she's maybe still, she's, no, she's still in college. college. She's just she's, home from yeah. school. She's right? still in college because yeah. she's. They had gym class in college, which that made me laugh. But, <laughs> uh, that's yeah, a private like, school. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a private school. Is but, it Cal? Is she? Yeah, she was. She was at Berkeley. She was um, Berkeley, right? The first, the first time he goes, I noticed this this time too. The first time he goes to the hotel, he's trying to get in. And, and as Tony mentioned, he's all nervous and mm-hmm. having he keeps a really going hard back time. And yeah. Back. yeah. <laughs> but when he's trying to go in the door, all these old people are filing out. Yeah. You can notice that, like, yes. all these old people, these really nice clothes are filing out. Then he's fine, and they finally finish, and he's about to walk in, and then these young people push past him. And that <laughs> was really, so that was interesting. He's like, he's going the opposite direction of all the old people, but, like, the young yeah. people are already, like, leaving him behind. He's in that transitional yeah. phase. Again, he's alone. He yeah. doesn't yeah. Really fit in with either one. I just love now that, yeah. like, when you think about it, that Berkeley was was force feeding gym classes to people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just the last, cl- the last school that would ever do that is the one that's depicted in the movie having gym class you know yeah I, 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 he does go stalker rather aggressively oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. so here's the thing too is the character of Elaine really three dimensional is she believable you know so why would she fall for him I mean they have yeah. that one great yeah. night where have, they have that one great night where they have this great conversation and yeah. then it's very sort of clear of uh, I I see the bullshit around me and I'm bothered by it. But they had this moment or they kind of shared that. But yes. I, I don't know. Is that enough? And do we? Know I, I agree. And, and with the baggage of him sleeping with her mom, yeah. whether it was warranted or not, because Miss Robinson makes it sound like a rape. Mm-hmm. So yeah. from Elaine's perspective, her mom was raped by this guy. Why would you want anything to do with it yeah. if you believe that to be true? Before even that, though, I get the sense that Elaine doesn't realize how beautiful she is at all because she's and Catherine Ross is a great actress because oh, yeah. she makes that relationship work. Mm-hmm. You know, she's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful, oh, yeah. but she plays as she doesn't know that she's not aware of that completely because she she's kind of uncertain around him. Like she's she doesn't. You could tell that she. She has her own insecurities. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm that interesting. I don't know if I'm that beautiful. She, mm-hmm. There's a lot of insecurities with her, which is why she looks so natural with him, despite, you know, her I think it, a lot of it stems back to probably Mrs. Robinson. Probably gave her a low self-esteem. She probably gave her a low yeah. self-esteem and yeah, probably yeah. wasn't supportive and didn't compliment her and didn't make her feel like... Who um, met Mrs. Robinson? Yeah, yeah, probably didn't do those things with Elaine, and that's why she's very self-conscious. Um, well, I think... Mr. Robin, I don't think Mr. Robinson is a good guy because he's got a wife that's cheating on him, and his daughter seems to be kind of aimless too. And, uh, and dating the makeup king. Yeah. <laughs> so she's setting Who herself want to up marry? for. So, yeah. yeah. Now, do you think he's just a distant guy that golfs yeah. all the time? Yeah. Is that I, I think he's just connected. I think he's just. I think he's just like he wants a certain life. He wants his. Mm. He's obviously put is like you do. You're my wife. You, this is this is what you do. You do that. I'll be happy. You're my daughter. You do this. I'll, you know, we all fit our roles and we all do them. And I think now his wife is now starting to like, you know, this is not what I want. And she's she's starting to do things like Dustin Hoffman is like, I'm just going to do things that I want to do and not, you know, mm-hmm. worry about the consequences 
or she is very aware of the consequences because she doesn't want him dating Elaine for obvious reasons. And, and I think Elaine is just kind of, she seems kind of impulsive to kind of like do, because she's marrying this other guy. We yeah. don't have any background on yeah. how long she's yeah. known this yeah. guy. She just seems like, and he asked her, are you going to marry him? He's like, I may or may not. I mean, something like yeah. marriage, she's just flipping about. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's yeah. fun. Yeah. That's weird <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. But Mrs. Robinson is the one that's pushing her down the aisle, mostly yeah. kind of despite Ben and and to, to spite her daughter. Really, yeah, they, she's forcing her daughter into yeah. this life that really she doesn't want. Well, if she, if she marries that guy, she can't marry. Exactly. Go out ben. So it's it's yeah. she's spiting everybody, even yeah. herself, really. Yeah. Mrs. Robinson, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of. I mean, I do think. So part of me, my feminist hackles get up a little bit with both Elaine and Mrs. Robinson. Although I think, especially compared to anything else coming in that time, yeah, yeah. right, that we have some sympathy because you know a lot of yeah. times in in the movies, women are either these well, there's like three archetypes. There's a damsel in distress that yeah. needs to be rescued. There's the good girl who's doing everything right. And then there's like the demon harpy, and then and, <laughs> right, like, right. and there's no other like women. Mal yeah. yeah. So I think like you were saying, like Mrs. Rob uh, Tony, that Mrs. Robinson is layered. We have some sympathy mm -hmm. for her. Yeah. We have some empathy mm -hmm. for you know her situation and whatnot. But but yeah, I think I I do think that and that when I first saw it again as a kid, that was the hardest for me to understand was mm -hmm. how did this romance between Ben and Elaine. And yeah. and especially you could see why Ben, like you said, would would find would be attracted to Elaine, to Elaine, but to just like I've been so alienated from everything, and I can't want, latch onto anything, and then suddenly there's this woman, and it's all about her. Like I didn't I didn't understand why. I wasn't convinced when I was younger. I, was I, I have theories on that too, because that's something. Even when I watched it for the first time, I love the movie. Um, that. You know, when you would think back on it, or even when you're watching, it's like, wow, they really don't know each other. That no, well. right. He, yeah. I think he sees her. I think a lot of it is like, which is odd because they knew each other for a while, but so they act as if this is the first time they've met to really got well, to know right. each other. Well, right. I get the impression they did. They were more acquaintances. They never really connected. Yeah. He knows of her. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if she's a couple grades behind him. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. night, that was probably the first night they actually really got to know one another as people. And at that age in their lives, you might know someone when you were 10. That's yeah. not who that person is now. Right, yeah. You, know? so you haven't seen her since high school. And mm -hmm. high school wasn't that far removed from college either. No. That's what, I remember that but detail. The, but you do change a lot in those years. Yeah. People yeah. really can change. And Elaine may have, I have a feeling Elaine might have been nerdy in high school. She might have had glasses yeah, or something like that. This might be the first time in her yeah. life where she's yeah. really kind of come into her own. Yeah. But with Darla's point... They don't really know each other that well, but there's not... Everything is kind of a shallow connection. Mm -hmm. Like, I think they're in the throes of this. I think the whole thing is it's a, it's a reactionary, like, impulsive mm -hmm. throw. Yeah. They're thrown into the situation. He's nervous about what he's doing. She's nervous about her own life. And they just kind of come together based on that mm -hmm. shared experience. But yeah. once that's over and that's the closing shot, there's nothing left in their relationship. Well, and the closing I know it's made shot the point is, he's making. It, absolutely. It's the same. It's what you've just said. They don't really know each other. No. And they look over and they're like, "Wow." As a guy, though, no, I don't blame him. He, yeah. Well, because yeah. she's beautiful, of course. She is, but, yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I was. But thinking, uh, it's opposite. Like you're right; does, it's lopsided because she does seem like a generally nice person. Yeah, she yeah. is. I, I love her voice. She's a really when she yeah she's really Benjamin. Nice, but, yeah, it's um. So here's one. Here, this is a quote, a direct quote from the notes I took while I was watching it, sure. which is Catherine Ross looks like an anime character. 
she is like the Anne Hathaway of the 1960s. <laughs> and they both yes. have like the huge eyes. Yeah. You know, like these giant eyes. It's funny. Yeah, I know. I guess she was like, everybody thought she was beautiful back then. Like oh, in those yeah. circles, like people would, like Hoffman said he was really intimidated by her beauty, even though she was very relatable. It almost seemed like their relationship off screen was smeared their relationship mm-hmm. on screen too. Because he said he, he sometimes was so shy he couldn't always look at her directly in the eyes because I think he was a very self-conscious actor. You get that sense. Uh-huh. Like he had a, he felt very inadequate which is perfect for Benjamin yeah. the way he played it but like I think he shared a lot of those insecurities. But one thing I really like about Catherine Ross in this movie um, she's very beautiful of course I love her fashion choices and, and I do really like the character of Elaine but I love as an actress she you can see her vulnerability coming through. Mm-hmm. Almost every shot of her you know she's got the beautiful big brown eyes and you look at her and she looks distressed or she looks concerned or she looks like whatever feeling she's supposed to be feeling in that moment you really see that in her eyes she's someone who shows emotion through the eyes and uh, I really like that because it's it's subtle but but it really makes a huge difference you know going back to the last scene when they're just sitting there and there's a moment where she kind of looks over at him and he's not looking at her but she just looks at him for a moment like as if kind of begging him to look back and he doesn't look over at her. Yeah. And then she just kind of turns and she's just like, you guys can't see me, but uh-huh. I'm kind of doing an imitation. You know, she just has that, like, sadness. Uh-huh. Kind of like, yeah. oh boy. And there's also and the scene where Mrs. Robinson confronts Benjamin outside and he goes in to tell Elaine oh, everything yeah. that happened. Yeah. And he doesn't have to say anything. She just turns and sees her mom in the door and she turns back. She was supposed to cry in that scene, but she couldn't do it. But I think it's more effective that she's not crying because she just yeah. starts shouting, and it's like overwhelming that this her mom has been in the affair yes. with the guy she's yeah. currently dating. I mean, know? I think that's how a lot of I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but I I think I would handle it more like Elaine, where I wouldn't cry. I would just be like, Yeah, you're in disbelief at that point. I mean, yeah. how can you cry about that? You're like, right. Whoa! Or you know, anger. I think yeah. like, anger is like a total. That's the, the crying would come later. Yeah, it would be private. Yeah, right. You'd be almost in denial. Like, yeah. like, really? You know, you'd be crying in private. I think at absolutely. That point, too. Like, you'd <laughs> yeah. be going on here. Mm-hmm. You're you like, wouldn't burst into tears immediately and run off. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff to process in one yeah. setting. Yeah. You know, that's a lot to because process. you're still trying to you're still trying to feel out your emotions for this guy. So yeah. to just automatically cry would mean that you would automatically be emotionally invested in someone. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think you she wouldn't. I think she's oh. still like you said, Darla, yeah. I think they're still feeling out their feelings, like you know. Yeah. But it, and it, it really goes back to the mores of that time too, again, that when so uh, ben takes her to the strip club and, and she said, Are you angry with me or whatever? And then he says a few things and then she so she get kind of goes, ah, this is what's happening, and then says, are you having an affair? Yeah. So again, that, that especially whatever, this upper middle class, Pasadena, you don't have extramarital sex. You know, you yeah. like, the make-out king, so, you know, guys can, like, sow their wild oats, but they only do it with certain types of women. <laughs> yeah. Right? That they, and, and actually, Nichols and May had a great bit of the date, did you ever see that? Yeah, the, yeah. The one, the one girl that would sleep with you, but you take mm-hmm. her out on a date. So it's clearly something that he had been thinking about for a while, and I really that was a, I love that. Me too. Um, but so so again, this you yeah, and you can't just go out and have sexual relationships yeah. for the sake. So it's just having an affair. So that represents not just all the badness that it is, but this huge uh, violation of her mother's honor or. Mm-hmm. 
her mother's status, like really sinking, or you know, however, you, however you slice it, right? Yeah. As you were saying, it just destroys everything. It just destroys yeah. everything, and you can't get that back. You can't forget about it. You know, you might be able to get over it, but it doesn't go away. And and as a child, I mean, I'm a product of divorce. My parents divorced when I was young, and I can tell you, it does change your perception. It will completely modify, and in some cases, maybe even shatter your perception on marriage. And your perception mm-hmm. on relationships and behavior in relationships. And, you know, trust, too. You know, just mm-hmm. that trust. Um, and I think it's certainly, like, with Elaine, you know, um, after that, she was shaky on whether or not she wanted to marry the makeout king. Mm-hmm. She was shaky on her feelings for Ben. I think it just really kind of shattered her her worldview mm-hmm. on, oh, my goodness, I thought my mother was this person that she's, she's not. And I thought my life was this life that it isn't. Mm-hmm. And... And kind of takes you on this whirlwind ride, and 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 it's kind of sad because you're not really directly involved, but you're directly affected by what happened. Um, but it's it's funny that you mentioned about her catching on him having an affair because we also see more of that when they go to the hotel. Remember, she says, "Let's oh, go to the yeah. hotel yeah. for a drink," right. and he's getting really nervous <laughs> right. about going to the hotel. That. And Which then is a great they, bit, yes, know. and then when they go there, everybody. What do they call him, Mister? Uh, what was it, Gladstone? Mister Gladstone. 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 Hey. He like, had other aliases too. They kept yes. in there, and he's like, know. "They keep thinking I'm this Gladstone fella." You know, he's trying to like play it off, yeah, right. but but she's kind of looking like. She suspects right, something. Right, right. Yeah. Like, he's been here before. But she kind of likes that, in a I, way. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, and that, again, that's what's all so weird about all the twisted logic, right? No sex yeah. out of marriage, but men are supposed to have experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and that gives them mystery, or that makes them uh, manly, but it only makes women... Right, dirty yeah. or less than. The whole movie, I think, is just poking holes at yeah. a, you know all these established like uh, cliches that you know genders had the all these gender roles. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of poking holes at these gender roles and why, how ridiculous it is that we held on to them for so long. How much pressure it brings on people to fit into that that comfort zone. It's mm-hmm. it's really really a, just attack on conformity, really, is yeah. what this movie is. And, it's and it's and a satire even, of conformity. Even uh, traditionalism, because at that point in time in the late 60s, mid to late 60s, the world was changing, the way of life was changing, I, ideals, perspectives, the way people lived, um, everything was changing. You know, mm-hmm. women were becoming more empowered, they were working, you had African-American people now that were in the workplace and getting more rights and freedom. And there's just a lot of stuff going on that was changing the, the happiness of the 1950s and the way that mm-hmm. men and women had relationships in the, that decade versus how it carried over into the 60s, which is kind of what we see here. Mm-hmm. Probably, I would bet that in the 50s, when Mr. and Mrs. Robinson were married, based on the way that their life was in this movie, they probably had a decent life back then. Maybe we're satisfied or happy, or that's the way it appeared. But then, when the times changed, I think Mrs. Robinson's needs and wants started changing along with that. Mm-hmm. They did, you know. I think, ma- ma- just from a woman's perspective. Or maybe you know? she just yeah. felt more. She felt like she had more freedom to do what she was doing. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe she's done it before. Yeah. We don't know. If yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're don't. exactly right. Yeah. So, and then back to the kind of the visual sort of clues again that she's in animal. Mrs. Robinson is in animal prints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So right. She had yeah. she had like a leopard spotted <laughs> skirt. And hat. And that, Did she have like a leopard hat? Yeah. And then when he goes over to their house to pick Lillian up for their date, you know, when everything falls apart, she's sitting on the couch or lying on the couch looking. She's again, she's under a blanket. That has stripes on it or whatever. And so yeah. she, you know, again, that she's, 
and she's a predator or something. Or That's anything. a great way to, yeah. She, uh, Bancroft gives us so many layers, though. That's what oh, I love. Oh, I, so love I love yeah. her. She's, I do, too. She's amazing. And she's it, so glamorous to her uh, hair and her makeup. Tell me and, about it. I want her. I want yeah. all these outfits you're talking about. Yeah, she's beautiful. The leopard hat. I think uh, the point you were making earlier about, like, uh, like the archetypes that mm-hmm. some of the women have to play in this movie, mm-hmm. I think it's the, the actresses really give those characters mm-hmm. layers that may yeah. not even been, it might not have been yeah. written that way, but she plays it. Like, like she feels lived in. I mean, I just feel like Bancroft yeah. plays this as such a lived in character. Yeah, she does. You feel the sadness in her mm-hmm. eyes, the complexity in her eyes, in every scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you even feel like she kind of regrets at little glimpses of regret with what she's doing with Benjamin and, and just mm-hmm. the way she reacts to things. Mm-hmm. Yet, doesn't really respect Benjamin at all. It's yeah. basically just a toy to get where she needs to go. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it, but I do think I, I think she likes him. I, I do believe that she likes him. I think that she, um, like you said, I think I think as they get to know each other better and they spend more and more time. At first, it started off as maybe a one night stand kind of yeah. thing, but now it's evolving into something else, something slightly meaningful. Because Benjamin says, you know, this is the one thing every week I look forward to, and and um, as sad as that is, you know, it's starting to tell you that that they're starting to get invested here. But but Mrs. Robinson, um, that, remember what that scene where they kind of have that fight? Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. she, he gets mad at her, and they're fighting over Elaine, which is ironic, foreshadowing, yeah. mm-hmm. um, about taking her out. And she's very jealous and says, you know, promise me you won't take her out if you take her out. And, and um, he says, well, don't you think I'm good enough for her? Right. You know, and she yeah. says, I never said that. But... It's it clear. Sure, she, yeah. She barely thinks he's good enough for her. Yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways, because I don't think she thinks that he's her intellectual or status equal. She she doesn't respect him very much. Yeah, and yet she's gonna let him like go off with the makeout king. Again, like that's what's funny. But then again, maybe they didn't have enough experience with this guy. But like that guy was such bad news. That's such (laughs) obvious bad news. I know, yeah. I like how he's called the makeout king. I think I think in general did he have a name? I think he did. I don't remember. Yeah, I just I just remember and that was a great scene when he goes into the dorm bathroom to find out. And even he looks kind of alarmed when he hears yeah. the makeout king. But again, it just I think, in my opinion, goes to show how much Mrs. Robinson really resents and maybe even dislikes her own daughter, that she's willing to put her in this situation with this guy who's yeah. not right for yeah. her. Yeah. Just to spite yeah. Ben and just to spite her daughter for her own selfish <laughs> right. reasons. Right, 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 right. But she did you know what? But her point of view might be like, I didn't get what I wanted early well, on. Probably, I had yeah. you and I had to give up all this, so. Exactly, she's jealous. Get with the program. Yeah. It's amazing <laughs> how cruel yeah. people can be to their kids. Like, that's yeah. what's, like on the one hand, you, you get this empathy for them and how they suffer, right, and everything. Yeah. And then they turn around and just victimize their own children. Yeah. But, so by the way, that scene when um, Ben is in the dorm bathroom, and that, yeah. I don't, again, I don't think that was an accident. It's like the kind of, these half-naked men, and one naked yeah. in the shower. It's like the sexuality yeah. of these guys, right? It's just right. like, very, it's just like and and there's like twelve of them in that room. Yeah, right? yeah, they're all like, and they're all like yeah, playing yeah. with each other yeah. with the yeah. towels. Yeah, and yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was kind of like that was. That's just it, what guys do, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a talk. bunch. And again, yeah. they're, they're like the capitalists of industry. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of future pussy grabbers. <laughs> yeah, that. like yeah. Yeah, I would be, wouldn't be surprised bathroom. if Donald J. Trump had right. a cameo. <laughs> right, exactly. Although th- these people would hate him too because that guy is so out there. I mean, he is so yeah, like direct. Yeah. I mean, he, there's nobody like that guy. That guy's mm-hmm. just a unique 
Well, I don't want to go off yeah, on a side yeah. tangent so there. The, but so these are like the stiff, yeah, the are, stiff upper yeah. lip kind of yes. country club guys, but that, who sow their wild oats. These are the omegas from Animal House. You know what I mean? <laughs> these like, are. Those guys are very the, white. They're the Mister Robinsons. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what they are. They're probably they probably, probably all loved the gold water back then too. Like you know that was probably <laughs> oh, very good. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, very conservative. Although, you know, Ben's, Ben's parents are actually pretty nice people, I think, despite... Yeah, well, they're passive... They're, I think they're Pasadena liberals that don't know how conservative they actually really are, but they yeah. they know yeah. themselves as like, yeah. oh, we're pretty, you know... Yeah, we're, we're nice people. We put you in a... We put you in a scuba suit after college. I mean, how yeah. is this not great and, you know, progressive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're you know, totally right. Yeah, I, I think they view themselves a certain way, and their kids view themselves a certain way, and the truth is probably in the middle somewhere. I don't think they're intentionally trying to derail him, but yeah. Just, no. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. His no. parents really want him to be, you know, have a good life. I mean, he's just there mooching off them. I mean, honestly, he is actually kind of just yeah. mooching off them, not doing anything. I mean, I think that's a reasonable. You know, why don't you go do something? You know, well. And his mom wants to connect with him. His mom, wants yeah. To, you know, and again, like it, it, that's not a conversation you want to have with your mom. And yeah, and no. <laughs> she doesn't. On one level, she of course doesn't really want to know the truth, but you can tell there's a genuine caring and, yeah. and concern. And a, and a, you know desire to to reach him or whatever. And it's, it's, yeah, you know when you think about it too, it's almost like he seems a little bit ungrateful because he does have a decent life with his parents. His parents yeah. seem to like they're. Uh, I, I think they're naive. I think it's, they're just the victims of naivete in a way. Like, they're not just... They just assume Benjamin's doing all the right things. And if he's not doing it, they're just throws them off their game. And she's almost the total opposite of Mrs. Robinson. Like, she's completely opposite of her... I think Benjamin's way. an asshole, honestly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I mean, Elaine's, like, moved on. Mm-hmm. They had yeah. this one nice date, you know. And I did like the scene where he greets her at the door and he brings a bag of... French fries and she's eating the French fries out because I thought that was like real. That really, yeah. that kind of stuff happens all the time where you just kind of innocently eat the French fries. They have a nice connection, but they have just one date, and for some reason, off of this one date, he he's kind of like becomes obsessed with her in a yeah, way. Yeah, he's like latched on. He's latched on, and he kind of goes up to Berkeley and he starts stalking her, which is. I've seen that trope in other movies too, where the guy goes and he's kind of like, you know, looking at this girl. Yeah, that, but in those movies, it ended in death. Or just something about Mary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's funny too is that um, so Mrs. Robinson is first kind of stalking Ben and badgering him and manipulating yeah. him, and then yeah. she le- at the end she leaves it up to him. Yeah. The, like you know, call me if you want to, and he does. Right. And similarly, you know, yeah, he's badgering. Elaine and just when are we getting married when are we getting married I, and I love that montage again of him yeah. walking her to her classroom and just stand and then and then the bell rings and he's still standing in the exact same spot mm-hmm. but then again, again at the end he goes to the church and it, then it's her choice to follow him yeah but it, it's interesting in both cases is yeah. how much are each of these characters sort of manipulated but I also yeah. wonder too does Elaine really only follow Ben because at least then she still has a choice she doesn't really want to marry Mr. Makeout King. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, yeah. And she's in that that position, you know, she's in this position right now. Right. She actually did technically marry him, I think. The wedding was yeah. kind of over. But it would it could yeah. easily be annulled. Exactly. But exactly. It, it's funny in that sorry. In that scene that so he's pounding, <laughs> pounding, pounding, and she's looking at him, and again, as you were saying, is silent as Scott yeah. was saying, is yeah. silent. 
And I, I, I'm trying to remember to say your names because yeah. yeah, they can't see me pointing. But anyway, so what's funny is she looks to her left and her, the makeup king is like, yeah. and she looks to her right and her parents are like, you know, making these really, really angry faces and and then she goes for it. So that was clearly part of it. Yeah. It's, it's the, that option up there is better than this. Yeah. I think yeah. she's always going through her yeah. mind and she just ran. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I'm being hard on it. I guess back in that... Now you could keep in touch with someone that goes back to college, and you could kind of grow a relationship. You know, that's true. Back Maybe then. the like the time is now. If she's ever gonna like me, I gotta go up there and I gotta be in her social circle, or even mm. though it's super awkward. Mm-hmm. But mm, uh, I, I think yeah. I think it's funny that uh, the way that uh, Mrs. Robinson manipulates him is such a high level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. like it's like yeah. I'm not seducing. She's definitely on a higher intellectual level than this kid. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, she knows that she's going to... And then, how about know. the scene where he goes to the house and, and Mrs. Yeah. Robinson's packing the bag for the weekend wedding? Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of having that little uh, exchange there and she ends up calling the police. She's like, have a drink and this, this, and that. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Ben. It sounds like the police are here. You won't be able to have that drink after all. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I mean, just that, that, that cruelty. Like, yeah. she has no yeah. remorse for what she's done. And, you know, he's trying to find Elaine and she's just packing the bags like, oh, yeah. nonchalant. You'll never find us. Nothing will, you know, like. You know, the more I think about it, the more maybe she runs the household. Like, she wants to keep that household mm. together. Like, she, well, she has Elaine and she has, maybe she, my husband's where I want him to be. I'm where I want to be. I can, on the side, I can do this stuff. If you do this thing with Elaine, this thing's going to blow up in my face and I'm not going to have this. Maybe. Yeah. yeah maybe <laughs> maybe that's it. But then never, why, why have an affair in the first place, though? She's she's happy. Because she, she's not happy. She... She has like a way in which she can live this life and go back. <laughs> yeah, to it's under it's yeah. under control and yeah. everything's in its neat little if box. She, if he dates Elaine and it all gets out, yeah, yeah, maybe. Control. I don't know. You never really. I guess that's what's great about this movie is you can you can have forty different theories of mm-hmm. what's really going on. Yeah. You never really know. It's just like all subtext and uh, mm-hmm. um, everything's just beneath the surface. Every, no one's really honest about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and also I, I do feel like the their affair was probably just intended for a one night kind of thing, and then it just strung along. And as things that are bad anyway from the get go string along, it just gets worse and worse and harder and harder to get out of. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Which I think is what's happening here. I think she's trying to get rid of Benjamin, and he just won't go away because now he's latched onto Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, oh, she yeah, wanted to yeah, r- yeah. throw him under the car, but he's yeah. still there, yeah. And he just won't go away. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a layered movie in, in that regard. And, you know, almost like you said, it's symbolic of the 60s, where they felt like this older generation was manipulating the mm-hmm. younger generation. That's when that generation gap was really coming into play. This mm-hmm. was, like, released right after the summer of 67, when hippiedom is <laughs> really emerging and the counterculture yeah. really yeah. takes off mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and I think that's why this movie has aged better than a lot of movies of its time. Like, like I, I really enjoy Easy Rider for what it is, but it has not aged beautifully. It, it feels very much a film of its time. Because mm-hmm. uh, then you're watching it and you're looking at Peter Fonda like, oh, they're serious about this. <laughs> well, I think one of the reasons this movie held up um, is simply Mike Nichols' direction. The movie, um, the story itself is really about humans and human relationships. And something like that is pretty timeless. 
Mm -hmm. the, the, the storyline that we have here in this movie could happen in 2017. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, time, it's a timeless story. Um, and the way that Mike Nichols used, the, you know, through camera angles and cinematography and the use of music, and just the way that, that he was able to manipulate um, or manipulate our emotions and uh -huh. how we are watching this movie, I think that's fantastic. I mean, because when you watch the movie, visually it's dated. Obviously, the co the costumes, the, the time period, the quality of... Um, but there's a cleanness to it, where if you watch something like Easy Rider, it's counterculture, and they're all like hippies Well, that's kind of that, my point. A is, it's a yeah. There's a timelessness to this movie. That's what, yeah. That even though you are watching it, and, and you know, the makeup, Catherine Ross looks very 60s, mm -hmm. physically, Mrs. Robinson physically, there's a timelessness to it because of the story, and because the way that the characters interact. And the emotion that's there, I think you could have that any decade. And people watching that now in 2017 relate to it, even though it is in the 60s. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think the time period is really just, it's not really even a factor. That's you know what, what I, mean? I like about it. Like, yeah. he, like, Benjamin doesn't turn into a hippie at the end and they no, start smoking no, pot no. somewhere. And, listen, you know, like, even the Simon Garfunkel music yeah. has a timeless yeah. quality because yeah. exactly. it has that undercurrent of. Mm -hmm. Feeling yeah. out of place and yeah. stuff, which I think is a timeless teenage. Well, that's why I think Nichols thing. was brilliant in, in yeah. making those choices Me because too. he was able to make it timeless versus making it something really heavily dated. Yeah. In a bad way. Yeah, exactly. You know, because anything, like it's you said, ages. Like, yeah, it's, it's like Breakfast at Tiffany's is, is timeless for the same reasons. You watch that movie and it's very much a 1960s movie, it feels that way, mm -hmm. but at the same time, the story and it's very timeless in the same way that this movie is, I think. Yeah. It seems like the Kennedy-esque 60s films hold up better than, say, the counterculture. Although, you watch Woodstock, that's a great movie, but that feels authentic because that's the actual concert. It's a documentary, and that's actually <laughs> happening. Bless you. Where if you... I always use Easy Ride. It's a classic example of a movie that's really trapped in a time yeah. capsule. Yeah. Like, it was praised exactly. at the time, and people yes. thought it was a masterpiece, and yeah. you watch it like, okay, they, <laughs> they, they took it... <laughs> To, you know, to the extreme. Yeah. Well, I was also wondering if this could happen at an earlier point in time. And I oh, think, sure. I'm like, again, yeah. some of the details would be different. Mm -hmm. But I do I do think it could happen at an earlier point. I mean, affairs have always been a thing. Yeah. yeah. You know? Right. And Betrayal. I, yeah. yeah. Well, the other big movie of 67 was Bonnie and Clyde, which is a period piece for that time. Because it took place in, the, yeah. I think, the 30s during the Great yeah. Depression. And that makes that timeless, too. Even though the themes were very relevant for mm -hmm. the Vietnam era because mm -hmm. of violence and... You know, the anti-hero was coming into play. Mm -hmm. um, it still holds up because it doesn't, you know, just the way it's filmed. You well, know. It, this is actually a, a literature, a book, but I think it's also, for the same reason, something like The Great Gatsby holds up. And people still love it in 2017. They're always making remakes of the movie. And it's probably still standard reading in high school. Because the story, you have this love triangle. You have the, yeah, affair, you yeah. have the affair. I mean, that is such a timeless thing that is never going to go away. And at some point in your life, you'll probably find yourself in one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that's what they say about good improv, is that <laughs> it can be about anything yeah. as long as there's authentic emotions. And if yeah. there's authentic yeah. emotions, no matter what the situation is, someone in the audience is going to relate to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're going to like it. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, and it was directed by an improviser, so yeah. that yep. sense. That's why I think he, he was really Although this is a very structured movie. There's no way you can so, improvise yeah. this. I, I, did, I was looking back through my notes and making sure I hit everything I wanted to say, and that reminded me of one thing was the... Seeing, and again, I should have looked this up, but I was seeing this critique of all the Adam McKay movies, you know, ones he's directed or written or whatnot. Uh. That, that, and again, it's like, say, I was just watching Anchorman the other day, which I love... <laughs> 
But, uh, so one critique of Adam McKay is that um, they don't explore the visual dimension as much. And that was sort of this critique of, uh, and I think as well, like Judd Apatow, of the, oh the kind God. of very improvised, yeah. improviser-influenced movies yeah. where you let people riff and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we've gone so down. Th- there was the argument of one, um, one clip that I saw on YouTube because they were contrasting him. Oh, they're contrasting Adam McKay with the British guy that does like Hot Fuzz and Sean oh, and Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Edgar Wright. So they were saying Edgar Wright is a master of um, using a mixture of visual and sound and dialogue and character yeah. to describe. But anyway, so here, um, yeah, the the visuals were just so amazing mm-hmm. and so many themes and. Um, the light and dark. So when they first go to the hotel room, the the shade was open, and so there was black and white kind of hitting them. And there's a point where it goes white when they're almost thinking about not going through with it, and he's yeah. going to go away. And then they turn the lights off, and it's dark. Mm-hmm. Right? There's so much symbolism. I, I think it's. I I think, I think you're absolutely right in that. Um, you watch a Judd Apatow movie. His movies don't feel like cinematic. Yes, or, yes, yes. And uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not a huge Judd Apatow. I think a lot of it's just like uh, I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan of his. Kind of like throwaway it's, comedy. It's a self indulgence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do like the improvisation. If it gets to kind of more spontaneous dialogue than scripted, yeah. fine. I'm okay. With Adam McKay's I think are more fun. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. yeah. And I haven't seen the big well, short. Well, mostly because Farrell. Yeah. Well, Farrell, like Step Brothers, is just so. Oh my gosh, Step Brothers. To go even further. (laughs) (laughs) To go even further back. Yeah. I was going to say, that that makes sense to me (laughs) because if you watch a movie like Caddyshack, which is directed Uh by Harold Ramis, another improviser, that movie. It, it, there's the difference. Like I think comedy people love that movie because there's a lot of great comedy bits. But I think if you're a cinephile, you kind of look down upon it because mm-hmm. it looks it, it's it's very basic. It's mm-hmm. not a visual experience. It's uh-huh. mostly just a bunch of comedians riffing off one another. Uh-huh. And that's an improvised. That's like an actual improviser's take on film. Mm-hmm. Where Nichols, because he had that that theater background, he really took yeah. into account the visual and all that other stuff. It's almost like two different styles. It's yeah. like uh, you're either gonna go. I'm just going to embrace the comedy. I know I'm limited visually, so I'm just going to embrace the comedic aspects of what I'm doing versus someone like, I really want to make this a visual experience, yeah. cinematic experience, you know. Uh, well, yeah. oh, the one thing I wanted to say too, just because I love Mike Nichols so much, and if if there's anything I appreciate so much about what he's done for cinema and film and comedy is that just the realism he brings with the emotions and characters. I think he's the best, one of the best people I've ever seen. Like, I love watching Nichols and May skits because of that. And anyway, his movie, um, Closer, that starred Julia Roberts and (laughs) Portman Clive Owen. That movie, the the affair scene with Julia Roberts and Clive Owen is like, they're yelling. I mean, you watch that, if you've ever been in a relationship, even if you've never cheated, but you've been through a breakup or something, like, you can't help but get so sucked into that. Like, you get quiet. You're like, like, and that is brilliant. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. And actually... Oh, it's I, so good. This yeah, is it's, a, it's a, I don't know that I want to watch it a second time because it's very, it's very it's traumatizing dark. movie. Yes. Yeah. But, but for what it is, it's amazing. My critique of him as a director, actually, because I love his 60s movies, like Virginia Woolf and The Graduate, and I like Closer a lot. Mm-hmm. That's the exception, but... I noticed a lot of movies he's credited to directing in like in the eighties and even nineties. They felt like watered down, typical mainstream Which ones? movies. Well, he directed um, 
he and it's not that necessarily they're all bad, but they yeah, just weren't sure, sure. They, weren't, they weren't as creative, I yeah. think, as a graduate in Virginia. What movies like Working Girl? Oh, oh Griffin, which I is a good movie. It's a good movie. I've seen it. I've seen it like twenty yeah. times. But I, I feel like anybody could have directed that. It yeah. didn't feel like it needed Mike Nichols to direct. Maybe it. not. It I, I get your point because the yeah. story. I think of, of it. Yeah, maybe. Well, Biloxi Blues. Uh, Regarding Henry, yeah. <laughs> Regarding Henry, yeah. You directed a lot of Harrison Ford dramas. That's probably what I'm thinking oh. of, right? Well, yeah. you know what? You know what I think it is to 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 um to defend your point. Mike Nichols and kind of defends what I've been saying all along. He's great with human relationships. Yeah. You give him a story that focuses on human relationships, he's going to nail it, hit it out of the park. Yeah. Something like Working Girl is more of a plot story. It didn't really have a lot of relationship aspects. I mean, yeah, she met Harrison Ford's character and she had the mean boss, but nothing like. To the degree of a of a gra- of the graduate or like closer, yeah. Where those movies centered around the relationships. Working Girl was more of a story, a plot. Here's what happens: mm-hmm. she meets this person. This she lies about this. She wears Sigourney Weaver's clothes. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. It wasn't like. Well, but I, I think I think maybe <laughs> by that point he's just like you know I did all that cool stuff as a graduate and <laughs> all yeah. the camera angle. maybe yeah, yeah I'm, just, I'm just gonna direct the movie maybe you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe because yeah. he he was very prolific I mean like you said he was. directed all these movies that you don't even know he directed because. Yeah. Because he directed The Graduate, you think he has this... It just felt like he had a signature style after Virginia Woolf and The Graduate. Those yeah. were such great, big, you know, influential movies, and they had so many great camera angles and yeah. stuff. And then he directed a movie called Carnal Knowledge with Nicholson, and uh, Art Garfunkel was in that, actually, oh, with Jack wow. Nicholson. Um, I think I saw that, but I don't remember. Yeah, it. it just seems like after the 70s, he was... It could have been anybody directing those. He became like a journeyman filmmaker. Sure. Like he, I, and it's not I that those movies were bad. Like, like I said, I liked Working Girl yeah. too, and I liked he did Birdcage with uh, oh, Nathan yeah, Lane yeah, and Rob yeah, Williams. Yeah. But I feel like anybody could have directed the. Like you could have found it didn't seem like it needed Mike Nichols. He didn't give a visual flair to any of those movies. There was a they f- went maybe, like, yeah. Uh, Working Girl had the great overhead shot and the mm-hmm. oh, oh, right. Statue of Liberty, and then the and Birdcage had the the amazing. Entry shot of this continuous shot from out of the ocean all the way into the in their apartment, like all from the ocean, like onto the beach, over the strip, into their apartment. I I still don't know how they did. Like, watch that. That is a great shot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so those are great. Those are great examples. And uh, the other thing about Working Girl that I love too is the uh, the scene where Harrison Ford meets Tess McGill. And and she's a little intoxicated off the cough medicine, yeah. the, the beer or whatever she, the liquor she had, and they have a very Nichols and May style banter when they first mm-hmm. meet. When she says, "I've got a, a body for business or whatever, a head, hot body, head for head. business yeah. and a body for sin." That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole like, and even that kind of that meet cute aspect, and mm-hmm. the audience we know who they both are, and so we're enjoying that and. You know, it's playful. That's very Mike Nichols style. I think that that That's scene true. in particular yeah. was, and I like that scene. Probably, was probably my favorite scene. Yeah, it, you know, just like it was just something I noticed. It's like the '60s yeah. movies stuck out for me so much. Like they made a huge impact, both of those films, and it felt like well, those other movies are good. Like yeah. I like them and enjoy them, but they didn't seem to have this. They went on the same level. Yeah. Them. Well, I think he sort of regained that a little bit with Closer. Yes, that, I agree. That movie, I think, was almost like a comeback for him in that way. It was. That really blew me away when I saw that. That felt like a movie by the guy who directed The Graduate in yeah. Virginia Woolf. That's what I mean. Yeah, know, where the others yeah. felt like, well, you probably could have found an, another like director of a similar cat. Like, it, I'm trying to think, James L. Brooks or somebody like that. Could yeah, have maybe directed uh, those. absolutely. But I think Scott might be right that just again that the 
if you put your like heart and soul into something, that's not something you can do over and over and over yeah. and over. Not everyone can be as neurotic as Stanley Kubrick, where you, oh my God. <laughs> you commit yeah. so much that yeah. you're yeah. you're completely insane uh, at the end of your life. I was listening. He to... ruined Sherry Duvall. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sherry yeah. Yeah. I was listening to Christopher Guest, who I think is. Oh, okay. I mean, talk about someone who has improv and and yeah. uh, he directs commercials, tons of commercials. Like, and I think. Especially the guys that grew up at this time, they, they I think they like to work, and I think you're, when you're prolific, it's hard to have. Yeah. Some movies yeah. are personal movies, and some movies are like, I like this script and I like yeah. these people, but you know, there's yeah. no point. <laughs> there's no right. point in doing the graduate right. thing to this movie. Right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really need it. One guy that does that well, like with Scorsese, when he made some mainstream films because he was so committed to what he was doing, he yeah. still brought that Scorsese visual flair to yeah. those movies. Where I think Mickles didn't bring that as much. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't commit it. as much to putting his own signature style into those movies. Yeah, that's why a lot of his movies. I think that that's a, that to me is just another reason to love the man even more. Someone that just focuses on certain, kind of like very like David Lynch. Mm-hmm. He's only done you know certain things, not a whole lot, but what he does do is very much him, you know. And I like that. I mean, I, I realize Mike Nichols had a period. I, I think he's actually. Like I think Lynch does a great job of keeping his style that's intact I mean. with those stuff. Yeah. Where Nichols yeah. doesn't yes. do it. Yeah. I think it's a huge like. Well, you're absolutely right. It's a perfect why, example. Yeah. That's why that's, I like that. I like directors like. I think that. the guy yeah. perfectly. The, the guy that I think gets the closest to like what she was talking about, like comedy. And having the style is like Wes Anderson, yeah. where he has that yes. yeah, yeah, touch, yeah. but he also is very. I mean, it, it is almost overwhelmingly a cinematic because it's just right. like everything centered and. But he writes all of his movies, though, usually. Yeah. And, uh, they're all personalized. What he wants to do, they're yeah. all personalized. Same with the Coen brothers, they're all personalized in smaller yeah. films. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just something I noticed. It's oh, like, wow, absolutely. I was blown away by these movies, but I liked these movies, but they felt like they were, uh, they weren't on the same level. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. I think that's why Mike, the Mike Nichols movies I do like are the ones where he does have a personal investment, it seems mm-hmm. like, in the story. or the... He does. So what did you guys think overall of The Graduate? Was it, does it hold up to your uh, <laughs> expectations? or Is it good enough to date my fictitious daughter? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's, a good, that's a good rating system. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it good uh, enough to date my cat? Uh, I thought, I mean, again, I, di- I didn't think it was a perfect... So, again, that's, I, I told you the only reservations I had really were... Well, the biggest one is... Um, well, okay... The biggest one is, do we really understand Elaine and did we get to know her? Mm. And um, should we have? I think, would the movie be different if we actually knew Elaine? Is Elaine a believable character? And then slightly less important is just, uh, was it fair enough to Mrs. Robinson? So those are the only... And I, and I, I go back and forth. I don't clearly... But so yeah. for that reason, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's a, I think it's a spectacular movie, and I, it's one that I can watch again and again and will. And I learn, I learn something new every time I watch it. And I was kind of curious on that point. Like, what is your take on Elaine as a character? Like, did you think that that worked for you, or did you still think there were some issues? Um... Yeah, I still think there are some issues yeah. that we just did again that we just didn't get to know much about her, and that uh, she is a dream girl almost. Yeah, like you said. yeah, There's like the manic a... pixie dream girl before, but not really because she's not quirky. She's and not weird. quirky. Yeah. But, so that's this is just the manic pixie dream. Girl. Yeah, that's yeah. a term. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's like a whole because of Eliz- yeah. Elizabeth Town. Like, we'll do a whole episode yeah. on the manic pixie oh, dream yeah. girl. Oh yeah. Anyway, probably. so so that's again another thing too about. 
then we're all supposed to identify this with the story of the man and what's going on with women or whatever, whatever. So that's just a kind of the feminist in me. But um, but yeah, I love I love the movie and there's there's just so much there about upper middle class or middle class alienation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how to try to yeah, forge your own path or. Not not the TV show Alienation. Oh, not, not Alien. <laughs> I always remember like Alienation. Yeah, like one word. Which in and of itself was probably a metaphor. It would be. Oh yeah, but I will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Good Mike, one. I could not. I could not. Mike and Mike and my music and movie taste is corresponds to roughly about 85 percent or so. So this was a movie he would not watch with me. Uh, so he watched Poltergeist with me for you guys, uh-huh. but yeah. he would not watch this. Because he said, I never found those relationships believable. And so then I, either relationship, and I pushed him on that. And he said, I wrote this down, he's too old to be that gullible. Meaning Ben, I think. And so mm. that was Mike's what? commentary on it. But we well, don't agree I, on everything. I would agree to disagree. I've met some people <laughs> that age that are that gullible. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I know people in their 50s that are that yeah. gullible. So. But these are, your students are this age. Like he's, yeah. he's really young for a yeah. graduate. He's yeah, like 20, yeah. 21. Yeah, most of them about twenty two. Yeah. yeah, but and, and that is something about that time period too. Is that people matured or just like, were yeah. expected to mature much faster? They that are. You were married, mm-hmm. you know, before you were twenty two, and you owned a house and had kids, and and you looked old when you were thirty five. Yeah. 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 yeah, you looked fifty when you were thirty five or something. I really subscribe now to thirty is a new forty is a new thirty, thirty is a new yeah. twenty. Yeah. I, I really do feel yeah. that way since I've been an adult. That that seems to work out naturally in that progression yeah yeah I I definitely see Mike's points on that you know because yeah I think it's interesting I think in the context of the time period like you Mm -hmm. were just saying Mm -hmm. it it would be more believable that this like it would happen but if you put this this situation in 2017 and he's that age you know we don't know well, they would all techno- be... Well, also, technology would definitely change. They'd be texting yeah, for this I, movie. Yeah, There'd be so many uh, tweets yeah. and texts. I like Scott's point that he wouldn't have driven all the way to Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> he would just be, like, tagging her on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Scott. There'd be memes to Well, I guess my main that's point weird. is, like, back then, I mean, if someone goes off to college, it's it. You may not see him again. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I mean, and I guess if you were... I'm sure that happened a lot... Um, especially in Berkeley, mm-hmm. where people are just like, because at that period of time, going to San Francisco was like a thing, especially for young people and people that are a little bit more inclined to do something a little bit more risky, you know, because you had the whole, you know, everybody's going out there for the, uh, the, for the hippie movement. and uh, Especially in California. Yeah, California, yeah. San Francisco, I mean, that's where you, so there, and there's the fringe part of that where there's a lot of creepy people that used a, a a movement to justify behavior that maybe would be less than uh, um, above board. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, and then Charlie Manson. When yeah, was it? Were the Manson yeah. murders? Yeah, Manson. 69? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that's like that, that, that fomented yeah, yeah. all this yeah. hatred of hippies. Yeah, yeah. This, which this is sad. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but that's what always, everything gets co-opted and some way eventually I think and then uh, by people that don't care um, mm-hmm. but yeah I think uh, I mean I'm not I just think it's like you know you watch it now it's just like you know with a little bit more awareness I mean there's a lot of talk about rape culture and stuff and you're watching this and it's like it's something that you would be seemingly kind of innocent and awkward mm-hmm. you know now you're watching it's like oh my god you shouldn't be doing that she's doesn't want anything to do with them. Go, go oh, move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know. But now you're like, oh, okay. But 
Um, uh, but yeah, I guess you, you know, it's it's a, you gotta see a movie based in its time, and at the time, people probably weren't, you know, and you know his intentions are just he he just likes her and mm -hmm. he just wants to be around her, you know, and it's more awkward than anything, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think now you're just like, oh, let's go on. Well, back in my day, instant yeah. messenger. Or yeah. <laughs> you know, how are you doing? But the, and that's Hit the thing. That, Facebook chat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mr. Roper knew that there was something really, really wrong with yeah, him. Like, he, I don't like he knew you. a mile away, like, this guy is bad and he mm -hmm. needs to get out of my yeah, boarding like, house. Yeah, <laughs> I don't uh, like you. And I, I like to think that, <laughs> that that he lives in the same. <laughs> he just became a landlord for another troubled yeah, dude yeah, <laughs> later on. And that. The same decade. That's amazing. It's not just that Norman Fells in this movie. He's playing a landlord in yeah, this movie. Yeah, yeah, so, so Obviously, Three's Company Watch is like, we need a landlord. Okay, what about that guy from The Graduate? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Richard Dreyfuss is in that scene. Oh, too, right, right, yeah. right, yeah. He's one of the guys on the stage. Really? Whatever, yeah, that's yeah. Richard Dreyfuss. Easily yeah. overlooked. <laughs> <laughs> we won't open that camera. We all know my thoughts on Richard Dreyfuss. That's been well documented. <laughs> Well, uh, you like the movie, I tell Overrated. No, just, um... Uh, just Richard Dreyfuss' cameo. Yeah. <laughs> I like that part. I, I just became aware that he was in it, so yeah. <laughs> now I have to go back and watch it and enjoy it. Um, by yourself. By myself. <laughs> yeah. With my love of Richard Dreyfuss. Um, yeah, I think it's... You know, what I like about it is, like, now I... You were talking earlier off, off the, you know... Off the grid. Off, off the grid. <laughs> about how you were watching movies now, and all the good movies are just like depressing, or they have a, you know, an overt, you know, message, or it's just like they, it's like sadness is like you can't make a good movie without, you know, sadness or pointing something out about society that's terrible. But this movie, I guess it points out things, but it's an enjoyable movie to watch. You can, you can watch it. It's not like a, you know, it's not like you turn it off and like, oh God, I feel terrible, or, you know, thanks for pointing that out. Now I have to live with guilt for the next hour or so. It's like you can watch it and enjoy it. And uh, I, it's just good on the merits of being cinematic and the dialogue's good and the direction and the acting's good. So I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's something you appreciate now where I think people are more, if something's, you can't have a comedy. And it goes back and forth, but I think comedies in general or satires kind of like get overlooked in terms of the quality of the movie and I think mm. it's kind of sad because I think they have the most I think they are you know point out a lot of things and they are quote unquote important but uh, I think it's because they make you laugh and they're not you know overtly depressing that they they don't seem like people think they're not as great as you mm. know other movies so uh, yeah, I mean that's something I wanted to mention with that too. Is like I love this movie. It was a massive hit when it came out too. It was like I think it, if you adjust it for inflation, mm -hmm. it's still one of the ten biggest movies ever made. It was a wow. massive, massive hit, and it was nominated for a number of awards. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't actually an Oscar nominee at the time, but it's transcended that. Like it's, I think it was in the top ten one year of the AFI's greatest movies of all time. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a highly beloved classic <clears throat> and I think it just hit a nerve at that point I think people just linked on to it for the reasons we mentioned you know just mm -hmm. it resonated with people they could relate to it it's like catching the rye I think for that generation in mm -hmm. a way mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a well crafted movie I think it still holds up I kind of was reinvigorated by how much I love it I like satire but it, it's also an emotional satire mm -hmm. like the emotions aren't mm -hmm. cheap and just to mm -hmm. make yeah. the satire 
work. And I mean, the movie's well very balanced subtle. that way. Yeah, it's very subtle. It is. It is. And uh, I love the acting. I think the performances. Yeah. Hoffman's yeah. fantastic. Every and that's what I I love movies that do that. That even the bit roles are really wonderfully acted. They are. I, so every every yeah. single role is great in this yeah, movie. Yeah. There's no false note. Yeah. The, all the parents are great. Hoffman is great. He kind of revolutionized the leading man status in Hollywood because after this, because it's the new Hollywood like we were talking about, people like Pacino and De Niro and Nicholson all became stars. Like, uh-huh. guys are kind of schlubby or Gene Hackman, uh, those kind uh, of people uh, were becoming uh, leading men. Um, the, the women still had the same status, yeah, you know, yeah. still beauty, but, like, it did change um, that aspect of it. Then went back to, you know, Tom Cruise types, like, mm-hmm. maybe a decade or so mm-hmm. later. But it was for a period of time. You have people like uh, Al Pacino and Woody Allen, and all those guys are like leading men at that point. Talk about neurotic. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was an era of neuroses yeah. for sure. But I love it. I, I think it still holds up, and it's one of my favorite films. Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with with bits and pieces of everything you guys have said and what I've said throughout the um, the session here. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great movie. Um, it's really. I love the timelessness nature of it, the story, of course, the soundtrack, you know. Really, um, there's not a whole lot of it that I don't like. Maybe just that Richard Dreyfus cameo. Yeah. No, just <laughs> <laughs> really? What do you, do you need my help? It just got through the whole movie. Yeah. Um, I really know. gotta go back, go back and watch that. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I, think, I think he's the one at the top of the stairs, right? Yeah. But by the landlord. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember his face. After Elaine's screams. Uh, uh, on that note, too, uh, Gene Hackman was originally cast as Mr. Robinson. Really? And he was fired by Mike Nichols because, in fact... Dustin Hoffman and Gene Hackman were roommates, along with Robert right. Duvall in New York. They all started out together as theater Duvall. actors. Can you imagine that, yeah. that trio? Well, Gene Hackman was playing Mr. Mr. Robinson, and then one day, he and Hoffman were both in the bathroom during a break, and he goes, I think I'm getting fired. And Hoffman goes, why? He goes, that's just the way Mike's looking at me. I think I'm going to get fired. And he was. <laughs> what was explained later on is Mike Nichols said, Gene can play lower class and he can play upper class, but he can't play middle class. Uh-huh. Which I thought was an interesting yeah. comment to make, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Gene Hackman. I, I I, Gene Hackman, Royal Tenenbaums is the upper class, and I think you know Pop Boy Doyle is probably the right. you know the street uh-huh. level guy. But yeah, I think he's like yeah. I think that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think Gene Hackman could. I, I admit. I think the deeper issue was not so much um, that as as the status as much as Hackman is like such a presence and he's such a yeah. badass like it's yes. hard for it to see that he would just just let Dustin Hoffman have an affair with his wife and not beat the crap out of him yeah. you know um, he just has that edge to him where Mur- yeah. Murray Hamilton is yeah. squeamish and I think that's a better yeah. fit for what he wanted from Mr. Robinson yeah. that's yeah. how I think of it anyway I, I still love Gene Hackman in that movie Heartbreakers with Sigourney Weaver and <laughs> oh. it's kind of like a throwaway comedy in I think the early 2000s he plays an upper class old yeah, man, yeah, rich old yeah, man. Yeah. And there's a scene, he's like addicted to smoking. And there's a scene where he's driving in his fancy car. And the two girls set up this trap so that he gets into an accident. Because the plot is Sigourney Weaver wants to like seduce him. Yeah. yeah. So, I love him so, in everything, too. He's one of my favorite actors. He's so funny. He goes over the yeah. tire trap. And, of course, his car starts spinning and everything. And the, um, he's got a cigarette like, kind of mouth. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, so the car finally comes to a stop the airbag. Um, pops out and his cigarette actually puts the airbag out. Oh, because it had, 
And then it's like, Hoo! and then the thing's like, makes a funny noise, and Gene happens, and there was a cigarette butt hanging, and it's like, the cigarette's bent. Yeah. It's just funny. It just cracks <laughs> me up. Uh, that would be fun. I haven't seen that movie in a while, yeah. actually. It's, it's actually a really fun movie. <laughs> Ray Liotta's in it. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, your point is that you, you love the movie. I do. Yeah. I really like it. Um, I love Mike Nichols' direction, the subtlety of it. Um, there's a lot of Nichols and May in this movie, uh, which I think mm-hmm. Elaine May ghost wrote some of it, or she was involved in it behind the scenes yeah, to some Yeah, she did some, like, maybe Carrie yeah. Fisher rewrites on behind yeah. the scenes. She, uh, when, she, when she kisses him, or he kisses her, yeah. and she... I love that scene. And then she both smoke, like, she's holding oh, the yeah, smoke. Yeah. I guess that L.A. May did that as a, She did that yeah. on stage, and then uh, it was a May skit. And Bancroft kind of looks like L.A. May. If you've yeah. seen her versions yeah. of yeah, L.A. Yeah, they do, May. they do. One of the first time I ever saw Nichols and May, I was like, oh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. I, everything makes sense to you yeah. at that point. And Mrs. Robinson, the way she plays her, she kind of plays her like an Elaine May character. Mm-hmm. The way she yeah. talks. Anyway, I love that. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I think it's a good film. Not to keep being redundant. No, it, it's great. You know, like I always say, like the best place to watch a movie like this outside of uh, the theaters, and I think this might be released. It's the 50th anniversary of this year of the film, oh my so God, it might be in theaters. Yeah. I know. Is the best way to watch it is on Blu-ray, and there's a Criterion collection, and Criterion is a brand that kind of releases unique films to, to our culture, and it, it is a great set. It came out last year. It has all these screen tests of Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross testing for the wow. roles. It has other actors testing for Benjamin and Elaine, and then you have oh, cool. interviews. with There's a Barbara Walters interview with Mike Nichols from the 60s, which oh, is boy. incredible to watch. <laughs> Barbara Walters is full-fledged 60s, like, Hi, Mike Nichols, you're on top of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, he's overwhelmed oh by it. God. They have a, a snippet of an interview with Paul Simon on Dick Cavett's show. Oh. Talking about The Graduate, which is great as a Paul Simon fan. But then I kept thinking, Dick Cavett could have fit in The Graduate as one of those parents, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's interviews like with Buck Henry and, and, and Lawrence Turner, who's one of the producers on, on the film. They're really... They're in their and 80s wait, now. Wait, so is this on the commentary? Is that These are all like a, a special features, like okay, supplemental yeah, features yeah. on it. Uh-huh. They have a commentary by Nichols. I haven't listened to it yet. With Steven Soderbergh together oh. doing it and then there's mm-hmm. another one I think with some of the other members uh-huh. of the crew but it looks for Steve what does Steven Soderbergh do is it just I haven't listened to it yet but you know. <laughs> was he part of this movie no I think they just brought a younger visionary director to okay. come in to talk to Mike Nichols about it yeah, he he was, he's probably a fan of the films so. I thought yeah he, he retired because he can't make the movies he wants to make or something Aww. yeah I heard That's don't so feel funny. bad for him <laughs> I think he's overreacting probably but. yeah that's another story. <laughs> okay, wow, wow. Uh, Not to bash them, but yeah. it's like... We'll get into our Steven Soderbergh, anti-Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> he wants to make an eight-hour Todd Carrera movie. Yeah, exactly. Well, the first person, if we're ever making an anti-someone podcast, we're doing Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll, we'll do it. I will bring my Richard Dreyfuss fan club shirt. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank Darla for coming yes. on today. Yes, thank you so Darla, much. Thanks, thanks for involving me. Oh, and thanks for... Right. to talk about this movie. Uh, anything coming up for you on the horizon? Uh, so, let's see. I'm performing regularly at the Nest Theater uh, in the show Storyteller. <laughs> so, that happens every Friday night at 8. Uh, should be going on for a while. So, look for that. Nice. And then um, the Nest is... We just got a license for comedy sports. So, that will start... We'll have some kind of exhibition shows 
from middle of March. Actually, no, I think the first one is next Friday, March 3rd, is the first comedy mm-hmm. sports show at 9.30. Wow. Uh, my first show is March 17th. But anyway, uh, those are all kind of exhibition shows, and we will join the league as of April 15th. Nice. Um, great. So that should be, That's yeah, so that should cool. Be really Congrats. Fun. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah thanks. And uh, I think we have, all of us are part of a show coming up on March 25th at Cafe Kerouac called Idiot Box, directed That's by right. Mark DiBerzio. It's a, Idiot Box is a, a sketch comedy troupe here in Columbus, and uh, I'm one of the players, and then Scott and Sean are hosts of the show, and it's a lot of fun. If you guys are available, it's a Saturday night, um, show starts at 8, no cover charge or anything. Um, Cafe Kerouac's a great space here in, in Columbus. Um, as the name suggests, it's a quirky, cool, kind of beatnik-style coffee shop, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to meet our listeners, so if you're available and you want to come out, check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't be afraid to like us on Facebook, Twitter, or give us a, a rating, mm-hmm. a, a good rating. <laughs> I want to beg for great ratings. That's how, that's how dignified They're, they're going to ding us on the um, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, they yeah. probably will. And, and, and please respond to us. Let us know how do you feel about Richard Dreyfus. And send some sexy photos of Richard Dreyfus for Tony. No! <laughs> and, if, if they do exist. And send sexy photos of... Nightmares are made of... <laughs> And send Steven Soderbergh. Uh, yeah, if you, you, know, if you like Steven Soderbergh and you want to argue with him over me, that's fine. Well, that should be uh, it for now. Uh, thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. 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 I got a single rule. That's fine. But there's one thing. The desk clerk seemed to be a little bit suspicious. Uh, I don't know what the policy is. Well, do you want to go up first? Yes, I think that would be good. I'll be up in five minutes. Oh, goodbye then. Benjamin. Yes? Isn't there something you want to tell me? To tell you? Yes. Well, I want you to know how much I appreciate this. Really. The number. What? The room number, Benjamin. I think you ought to tell me that. Oh, you're absolutely right.